Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. So many Christians today are chasing a fake version of Jesus with fake temporary power that doesn't last. How can you connect to the eternal, lasting power that God has planned for you to use to build your house? Well, for six weeks today, I've been standing here and begging us to build a house that will stand. This is my sixth week of of coming to you and begging you to build a house that will stand. It's kind of really the fifth week for me personally, uh, even though we did talk about it last week, but I was sick last week, and thank you, Can Can, uh, for jumping in there and doing such an incredible job of of (laughs) preaching the sermon that I wrote uh, and then getting it at 6.30 in the morning and delivering it just a little bit later. Thank you for doing that. You did a fantastic job. Let's say thank you to Ken, if we could. Thank you very much, Ken. Ken is preaching again. I think it's three weeks from now, but he knows about that one already. So hopefully he'll be prepared with what God uh, wants him to talk about. But I've been, I've been, I've been preaching about building a house that will stand because my heart's longing is for you, church. It's for you to stand through the storm. Jesus tells us how to build that house, and we've been looking at these great commandments from Jesus over the last few weeks. In Matthew 22, he says, here's how you do it. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. These are the imperatives of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's this at its base, if nothing else. And Jesus also warned us that there was, in fact, a storm coming, right? He says this in Matthew 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person building a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is really clear, a storm is coming and some will stand while others will fall. And I've been begging you to build a house. Do the work of building a house that will not fall, but instead will stand. I told you a storm is coming because Jesus told you a storm is coming. A couple of weeks ago, I stood here and I talked about that crazy, insane new Canadian law 
that they passed that effectively bans all conversation about biblical sexual ethics, right? You can't point to the Bible and you can't talk about sexual ethics that way. You can't say God created them male and female, right? Remember, do you remember me talking about that a couple of weeks ago? And I told you that there were at least five state legislatures that had that before them at the time here in the United States. Well, I just kind of talked about it for a few minutes, but conservative pastor John MacArthur in California actually preached a sermon about it on that same Sunday. And guess what? YouTube has now banned his message, that message. They haven't deplatformed him yet, but they have banned that message and they've taken some other of his messages off of YouTube, labeling it hate speech. He stood in front of his congregation and he said that God created them male and female and he talked about biblical sexual ethics and they will not let him speak. I'm telling you, the storm is coming and it's only beginning. It's only the beginnings of the storm and it's going to get worse and worse. And I promise you, it's, it's real easy for us, for us to just water our message down, to just water the whole truth down so that it's a little bit more acceptable to the world. And frankly, it's, it's very easy. It's a lot easier for us to just sit down and shut up about it. You know, just sit down and shut up. Just don't even mention it. But in Colossians 1, it says you must continue to believe the truth. Continue to believe the truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you receive when you receive the good news. The truth is, this is the first blank on your page, is we need power to stand through the storm. We need power to stand through the storm. It's gonna, it's gonna become harder and harder and harder for Christians to stand. And it's gonna be easier and easier to just fall in line, to just fall for the lies, to just fall to the plans of our enemy to defeat us and to no longer stand for the glory of God. We need power. We need power that we don't have. But here's what Jesus says to us in Acts 1. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me. You won't shut up about it. You'll receive so much power that you won't be able to hold it in. You'll receive such power that you'll just be talking about it to everybody you can, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Power. Did you hear me? I said power. Talking about Christians and power. I, I think the problem is, I think the problem, frankly, is most of us don't feel very powerful. I mean, I know a lot, of, a lot of Christians and I talk to them all the time and I, I get their prayer requests. I sit down over coffee. I talk to them on the phone and I hear about their job and I hear about their kids. I hear about their marriages. 
and I think about what they are saying versus what Jesus says. He says you will receive power, but what I hear a lot of times is weakness. Jesus says you will be an overcomer, a mountain mover, right? He says that you will defeat the evil one. In fact, Jesus says you'll do even more incredible works than my own, right? But most Christians don't fit the description that Jesus gives, right? Most Christians are not the people that Jesus describes. Think about it for just one second. Think about it for just one second. Here's how I want you to think about it. Don't answer me out loud. I just want you to think about it, okay? So don't talk out loud. Just think about it. Ready? This is brain time, not mouth time. (laughs) But just think about it in your head for one second. What does it mean for someone to be a Christian? If you were going to define Christian, how would you define Christian? Got it in your head? You can, you can nod if you have it. Okay. Now, think about something a little different. What does it mean for someone to be a disciple? Huh? I, I know for most of us in the room, now we have two different sets of terms going on in our head because we all know that there is a difference between Christian and disciple. There shouldn't be, should there? There shouldn't be a difference. They should be synonymous. They are intended to be synonymous with each other, but let's just be honest. There's a difference between Christian and disciple. We know a lot of Christians, but we know very few disciples. We know a lot of church people, but few that are actually doing something about it. We know a lot of people that know the lingo, but it seems few know the word of God. A disciple is who we say we want to be, but Christian is who we tend to settle for being. A Christian may live in the house, but it's a disciple that builds the house. Are you catching my drift? Are you seeing the contrast? I know there shouldn't be a difference, but there is a difference. We know lots of Christians, but it seems like few disciples. Maybe these really are the end times. Because Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy, and he's telling Timothy about those last days. And he's warning him. He's saying, here's what you should expect to find in the last days, Timothy. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy 3. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Are we seeing difficult times now? Dude, I had a tough time just the other day when I stopped and had to fill my truck up with gas. Felt like it was difficult. I mean, I'm looking around in the culture around us and it seems to be getting more and more and more difficult. I'm just grateful I don't live in a city right now. This past summer or two have been just horrible within the big metropolitan areas in our nation. He says there will be very difficult days. And then he goes into this description of what people will be like. I want us to look at what he says. He says, it'll be difficult for, 
because people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and they will love pleasure rather than loving God. That's sobering, isn't it? Sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? The thing that he says next, though, is what really hurts my feelings the most. Because here's what he says in the very next sentence after that description. He says, all these people, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will act religious. Is Paul saying that the Christians are the ones that are this description? It's the religious people that are puffed up, prideful, loving themselves and their money, boastful, proud, and scoffing at God. They act religious. They sure do, you know, put on the show of being Christians, but they reject the actual power that could make them godly. And then this pastor, Paul, writes to this other pastor, Timothy, about these people, and he says, get your arms around them and love them to Jesus. Is that what he says? To stay away from people like that. This is Paul, whose mission in life was to go and claim people for the kingdom. And he was developing this pastor's heart kid, Timothy, into being the same kind of person. And he's saying, stay away from people like that. This is chilling to me. Who is he talking about here? He may be talking about us, the powerless Christian who forgot that they were supposed to be disciples. In fact, we didn't just forget, but according to Paul, we reject the power that could make us godly. There's power for us to stand. There's power for us to build the house. There's power for us to endure the storm, but we don't just forget about it. We reject it. What? So what even is this power, and how do I access it? What is this power that I need, and how can I go from rejecting it to using it? Excuse me. Jesus talks about power in Matthew 28 in this very familiar passage that you knew I was going to get to this week. Jesus starts off with this statement. He says, I have been given. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I, Jesus is saying, I have been given all authority. Another translation says power in heaven and on earth. All authority, all authority, all power in the universe, in heaven and on earth, all power, next blank on your page, belongs to Jesus. All power is his. If you're looking for power, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. 
In Colossians, it says that the universe exists because he holds everything together. Dude, that's power. So he says, all power is his, all authority is his. And this should terrify us. It should terrify us. Because you and I have committed crimes against his father. The one who wields all authority and all power, we have decided to become criminals against his daddy. How does it make you feel when someone would do something evil against your mom or your dad? What do you want to do about it? You want to get revenge on them. You want to set things right. You want to make it right and show them who's boss. You want to take care of your mom or your dad, and you want to enact some kind of judgment upon them. Scripture says all of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. All are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, that he will punish our sin. Who can blame him? He has all authority and we've committed crimes against his dad. I saw this in a new way just this week. I heard about this story uh, yesterday. Uh, Wasn't really paying attention to it too much, but the Olympics are going on, right? The Olympics big deal, especially right now, this go-around, a lot of political tension in the air, right, between China, Russia, and the United States, and it's happening in China, and I hadn't really been paying attention to it all, but we, the United States of America, we have America's Next Olympic Darling, and you may have heard her story. Her name is Eileen Gu. Her mom was born in China, but raised, thank goodness, in the United States. Went to school here, graduated from um, a university, I forget which one, it was kind of a high profile one. And now has raised her daughter here in the United States. Her daughter is Olympic, is the next Olympic uh, darling, they say, because she's the favorite to win maybe three gold medals. And this, this girl is stunningly beautiful. First of all, she's graduated uh, here from the university, same university as her mom here in the United States. I'm sorry, I forget which one it is. But prestigious university. And this, this, this girl, she has become so popular and so sought after, she's been on the cover of Vogue magazine. Her sponsors are all these high-end, exclusive luxury brands, Versace and Armani and a bunch of other ones girl's beautiful and stunning. She's highly educated, rolling in the dough. But she announced that she was going to defect and she would be skiing for China in these Olympics. Stunning everybody. She's going to go and ski for China because she doesn't agree with some of the policies that the United States stands for. So she's going to go ski for communist China. I'm not kidding. And so now she's educated here. She's had every opportunity here. She is sponsored by all these wealthy, high-end corporations in America. She literally has the world by the tail because of the advantage of living in the greatest country ever, and yet she's choosing to go and ski for communist China, some of the worst human rights record 
ever on the face of the planet. That's what she's doing. How does that make you feel? I know what I want to do. I mean, I want her to be banned from ever competing in, uh, in sports again. I don't think she should ever be allowed to ski, ever. And I think they ought to revoke all of her sponsorships. They ought to demand all of everything they've given her back. I think they ought to revoke her diploma. If I was ever going to be a cancel culture person, I'm not. But if I was ever going to be one, that's one I would want to cancel. It infuriates me. It insults me. I can't believe how she has done that. But yet we've done far worse to the king of the universe because he designed you to be the apex of his creation. He designed you to reflect his glory into the world, and yet you and I chose instead to rebel against him, to be traitors defecting to the other king, to glorify the wrong king instead of glorifying the king of kings. And so we deserve the punishment that we have coming to us. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. We deserve that. But instead of using his authority to punish us, he uses his authority to save us. Right? Jesus goes to the cross and he takes the punishment himself for our sin. And he dies in our place. Right? Giving his life completely for us. And he rose again on the third day. And now he lives in that new life. And it's after that that he comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. It's been given to me. And so here's what he says next. He says, therefore, since I have all authority in heaven and earth, go and make disciples of all nations. Instead of me exercising my authority to judge you, I am instead delegating my authority to you so that you can live on mission for me. I'm giving you authority to go and speak in my name, to reflect my glory, to point to me, to become exactly who you were created to be, huh? So he says, go. I have all authority, so I'm gonna delegate it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So in other words, what he's saying is, Next blank on your page, Jesus allocates power through discipleship. Jesus gives us power through discipleship. The power is for a purpose. It's to light the world in discipleship. This is how you have access to it. It's to know God, know the word, and pass it on to love God, love others, and make disciples. This is a huge part of standing. You, you hear me? This is a huge part of standing. I think this is the reason so many disciples have converted back, have reverted back to being Christians. I think so many have fallen or maybe have never even stood in the first place because we have forgotten that Jesus gives us power for a purpose. 
I think we easily forget. Here's what I think we forget. I think we easily forget that Satan, our enemy, is um, he's a sophisticated, experienced war strategist. He's not some kind of fumbling and bumbling buffoon. He's always on the attack in multiple levels and in multiple ways. And let me tell you, sure, he attacks Christians, but he picks Christians off easily. It's disciples that actually put up a fight. He attacks disciples, and it's disciples who actually have a strong foundation and thick, sturdy walls that see the attack coming. They know how he attacks and what he does, and so they're, they've prepared their minds for action. They're in position, and they're ready to defend against those flaming arrows that he slings. Disciples are ready for battle, but Christians don't even always recognize it. Huh? They don't even see it coming. Not only do they not have a defense against it, but they are often, Christians are often duped by his lies and end up following him. Right? I mean, because he's smart. He's slick. He's sophisticated. He'll get you when you're not even aware of it if you're just a Christian and not a disciple. Right? In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing about false teachers. People who come into the world, they're false teachers. Listen, false teachers represent somebody. And he says, these people, these false apostles, they are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They come in the name of Jesus, but they ain't representing Jesus. He goes on and he says this. He says, but I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan is easily, all too easily misrecognized as an angel of light. He comes in a disguise, and you don't always recognize when it's him. So he says, no wonder that his servants, the false teachers, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So many times Christians, they fall to Satan thinking that they are worshiping God, but they don't even know any better. It's really, really easy for these false teachers who are all around us in America. They're all over the television. They're all over the podcasts. It's really easy for them to say all the right words but still be lying through their teeth to you. We have them right here in our community. I mean, we see it, you know, you, you, you recognize it. If you're a disciple, you learn to recognize when they dangle some kind of magic token in front of you, you need this magic token to be able to really have power. You know, the magic oil or the magic water, you have to be baptized in these waters. These are the magic waters. If you do this, you'll receive power. Or if they misrepresent scripture, and they twist the scripture around. They can read you the whole, you know, couple of verses, but they ignore the rest of the passage. You quickly learn that they're dangling carrots and misleading 
you. Whenever you follow a version of Jesus that is distorted by misrepresentations and half-truths, you aren't following the real Jesus. You are following a cartoon character, a figment, a ghost. The biblical word of that is idolatry. You are a false worshiper worshiping a false god. Don't fall for it, but we do all the time. People have left this church falling for the fake magic tokens. I've seen it. I've cried over it. I've prayed, and I've begged people to please not fall for it, but, oh, it just feels so good. So I know... There are, or my connections. How's that? Is that working? All right. There are some people that say, well, I want to go where the miracles are. (laughs) The miracles, I guess, aren't here, uh, aren't anywhere. I say that if if you're a disciple of Christ, the miracles ought to be wherever you are. I believe in miracles. Absolutely, I believe in miracles. And I seek God for them all the time. I pray to God for them all the time, just like James, the brother of Jesus, told us to do. I believe in miracles, but listen, don't forget that Satan performs miracles also. He did it in Jesus' day, and he's done it ever since. I mean, don't you remember that there are lots and lots of occult practicing spiritual healers that have tons of followers? Did you forget that there are Hindu mystics that can get entire congregations of people to have ecstatic experiences and have millions of followers? Listen, there are just as many occult practicing Christian leaders who misrepresent Jesus and distort the scriptures and create large groups of people who claim that they are in the spirit, but they have no idea that they're worshiping a fake savior and that they have actually been deceived by the angel of light. How many have fallen for this? And how many more will fall? I listened to him, and I've given you in the past, I should have linked you to it today, but I didn't think to do it ahead of time. I gave you five ways. I did a message called Learn to Discern, five ways to discern um, unbiblical teaching. And um, one of the, let me just give you the, the basic way, basic, basic, basic way, basic way. If they are preaching to you and calling you to chase the gifts and the blessings rather than the giver of the blessings, that's a good hint that it's a false teacher. If they're calling you to change your behavior, change what you do, how you act, so that you will receive something from him, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that he's already done all the work and that it is finished, complete in Christ, and that his sacrifice is good enough for it all. 
paid in full. Come on. So if you hear someone teaching, but you don't hear a call to repent of sins and to surrender your life to Jesus, who has already done all the work because you are incapable of doing the work, if you're not hearing that, it's a good sign this false teacher. And I've got several more. I don't have time to go into them all now. I should have linked you. I'm sorry I didn't. Maybe for the next service we can figure that out. I don't know. We'll see. So um, people like that are running after a cartoon character, and they're building their house. It will not stand in the storm. This world, listen to me, this world, your family, our community is in desperate need of house-building disciples. Desperate, desperate need. And a disciple, next blank on your page, a disciple is someone who loves God, loves others, and makes disciples. Because that's who Jesus turns us into. And those are the greatest commands he gave us. A disciple loves God, loves others, and makes disciples. Jesus says, all power is given to me, therefore I'm delegating it to you for a purpose. It's sort of like this. Got this extension cord right here. And, um, you know, you've got an extension cord at home probably. You've probably, if you're like me, you've got a tub full of them somewhere. And you're always getting more of them. And so I got this extension cord and I plug it in. And you know what I know? Here's what I know. I know that there's power right here. Right now, there is electricity that has flowed into this thing. It's right here. It's right here. Actually, it doesn't, you know, flow, but you know how it works. All right, so the electricity is right here. It's literally right here. Like, you know, if I was to... Why would I not do that? Because I would be a moron if I did that, right? I, I know there's power right there, but you know what? That cord is full of power right now, but as it sits, it's doing absolutely no good to anyone at all. It's doing nothing. Right now, as it sits, it's worthless. That power is going nowhere. Jesus says all power in heaven and earth, all power of the universe is given to me. So I'm delegating it to you because I want you to light up the world around you. I'm delegating it to you so that it will flow into you and you will be a person who loves God, loves others, and makes disciples. I'm delegating it to you so that you will live on purpose. He doesn't delegate that power out so that you'll have great experience and you will have great experiences. Dude, you'll have indescribable experiences, but that's not why he gives you power. You'll receive healing, you'll receive strength, you'll receive confidence, you'll receive that stuff, but that's not why. This is why. Jesus says you are the light of the world. His power is given to you so that you will be the strong standing disciple that he calls you to become, loving God, loving others, and making disciples. He wants you to light up this dark, dark world. 
He says this in Matthew 16. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, I want to do it my way. I, I, want, to, I want to have all the stuffs. I want a bigger this and a better that, and I want to accumulate things, and I want, to, I want to have my leisure time and my recreational activities. I want to do it all my way. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, for my sake, you'll save it. Your old nature rises up and says, I don't want to give up myself. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to do the, you know, love God part. I'm willing to do that. Oh, I can't turn this on individually here. Yeah, here we go. All right, try it again. There we go. I'm willing to do the love God part. I, I just, I love him so much. I'm just willing to love him. But these other things, I just, I don't, I don't have time for those. I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I don't have another night of the week to give to a life group. I don't, really, I don't really feel comfortable sharing my faith with anyone. I don't really know that I'm smart enough to, to, to do the deeper theological work. You know, I, I just don't know about that. So I'll do this, you know, me and God, but I'm, I'm not gonna do that. Okay. Okay, maybe Jesus was wrong. Maybe the apostles all got it wrong. Maybe all this is just foolishness, uh, you know, and maybe none of this really applies to you. I mean, are, are you really willing to sit here and to say, you know, this applies to everybody except me. I'm the exception to the rule. 2,000 years of Christian history, and I'm the one that can pull off this deformed, non-Christ-like looking version of what it means to be a disciple and expect to have power to stand in my life? Are you gonna sit there and say that? Or are you gonna say, I want to become everything he's designed for me to be? I'm gonna light this world. So each week as we've been talking about what to do, how, how to build. I've been giving you concrete steps, handles on that so that you can kind of get your head around it, get your arms around it a little bit and actually do it. So I hope there's some space on your page. I don't actually know if there is. I probably should have looked. But what would discipleship look like starting right where you are right now, right now? How can you start becoming the disciple that will stand? So I got a couple of things. First of all is... Um, Next week, we start that Until Unity study in our life groups. Next week, we're going to start reading this book together as a church and discussing it in our life groups. And I'm just telling you, this book has rocked our world. Uh, all of us that have read this thing, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Um, Francis Chan's question, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in here or not when I talked about it, but he asked this question, he's talking about unity uh, with the body, with each other, loving each other, and he says this, uh, maybe I said it before, but it just rocks me every time I think about it. He says, how's it gonna be for you when you're on your knees with your hands raised, worshiping the God of the universe, praising his name forever in eternity, right next to the person that you will not even speak to here. 
That's just one of the questions he asks in this book. I mean, it's a, it's, it will rock your world, and I really want to encourage you, if you are not in a life group, and if you haven't gotten the book, the books are available at the Resource Center right outside, and of course, they're even cheaper on Amazon.com. I really recommend you get the Until Unity book and join a life group and do the study with us. It starts next week. Starts next week, the week of February 13th. Serve teams are another way that we do that all the time, you know. Um, sometimes I talk to church people and they're confused when I say serving on a team is one of the primary vehicles for discipleship. They're like, no, a disciple learns a lot. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if you read the Bible, the disciples actually do a lot. <laughs> you know, they're always serving Christ and they're always making sure that his ministry is accomplished. And so he's always, Jesus is always talking about you know, serving one another. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So if you're not on a serve team next Sunday on February 13th, Stand Up Sunday, we'll have an opportunity for you to find the serve team that you can try out for a little while and see if that's the place for you to serve. Our men's group that we have going on right now is a honking amazing. We're meeting on Tuesday nights, and it's a closed group at this time, uh, and we're doing a book study uh, by Patrick Morley, and we're just talking about men's stuff, and it is rocking our world. I tell you, I go to a lot of meetings. I do a lot of meetings. Just about every night of the week, I'm at a meeting, and um, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm ready for all of them to be over. I'm like looking at my watch for all of them, but this one that I do right now, dude, it could go to midnight, and I'm in. I'm in. It is that good. I love it, and we're going to be opening that up soon. I'll have more details for you about that probably next week. Our men's group will actually be on display next week, and we're going to be starting that up for everybody really soon. And then lastly, I've got, uh, you know, partner. Partner with us. I really want to challenge you to partner with us. The Orchard Church partnership is very different from standard church Membership, because partnership itself is an exercise in discipleship. A partner is someone who says, I will, for one year, I will practice loving God, loving others, and making disciples in these specific ways. And it's just, it's just a tool of helping you be accountable to being the person that Jesus wants you to be. In other words, next blank on your page, discipleship starts right where you are. You don't have to, you know, grow and become and learn and memorize and be able to recite the Torah and uh, be able to identify the 70 weeks of Daniel. You don't have to do all that stuff. It starts right where you are right now. The access to the power can start for you when you begin these processes that he has laid out for us. I hope you'll be here next week on February 13th. If you're not already engaged in these, jump in. One more for you that wasn't on the screen, I'm just going to tell you, is tonight's No God Expansion Pack. We're doing a special No God Expansion Pack tonight, covering two whole units starting at four today. It's a great way to learn to know God a lot more, uh, and it'll happen right here, and there's dinner. There's going to be a break for dinner and everything. So I really want to encourage you. It doesn't cost you anything. You can just show up tonight at four and hang here for a few hours with us while we go through. We're going to cover... We're going to cover the deepest theology that there is tonight at 4 o'clock. We're going to talk about the Trinity, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What even is that? How can God be three and one? You know, God says, let us make man in our image. But he also says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. How does he get away with that confusing mess? And so we're gonna be given an overview on the Trinity. It's gonna be awesome. You're gonna really come away with a deeper understanding of what that is. I hope you will choose to no longer be serving yourself, but be like Joshua. Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm.